Hello, everybody. Welcome to another episode of the Crime and Coffee Couple. My name's Allison. And my name's Mike. Hello, Mike. Hey, baby girl. How you doing? Good. I'm good. doing pretty good. Yeah, you look good. Oh, thanks. Your pleasure. Yeah, I don't know about that. <laughs> Why do you always think so badly? You know? I don't know. I mean, you ever think, hey, man, I look pretty dang good today? Yeah, rarely. Occasionally, I might be like, well, I'm having a decent skin day, decent hair skin day. Skin day. That's what you're, you're kind of... You're judging well, yourself on? I'm 44 years old. Yes. It's all about the skin. Okay. Yeah. And that's uh, that's why you use your frownies, right? I use my frownies, my serums, everything. Well, how many things would you say you use on your face? Um, I have a routine. It's not a lot, okay. actually. So it's not like dozens or no, anything? No. God, okay. no. But you don't have like a little droplet here and then something no, here? No. Okay. I'm very streamlined. Hmm. Ain't nobody got time for that. I'll, I'll, I'll wash my face, basically. If that. Yeah. If, I uh, would say not normally. Yesterday I didn't take a shower, so I think we talk about that a lot. And I'm sorry if you have to hear about it. But it's the weekend, you know. We're kind of easing into things, you know. It's Christmas time. Got a lot of I, things going I, on. What does Christmas have to do with showering, Mike? Well, I'm, I'm you, not certain about that. You're always wanting us to sit together as a family and watch Christmas movies, which we didn't yesterday. No, we did not. We watched some Ted Lasso. That was fun. Yeah, and me and our daughter did a Gingerbread Houses and it was so funny because we were having so much fun that the time just i had no concept of time and normally i'm so structured that i do have a very strong concept of time and we always do the wishes on the two like 222 333 blah 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 so we made a wish at 444 and our daughter was like you know we've been doing this for over two hours and 20 minutes and i was like no she's like yes when we were decorating we made a wish at 222 I was like, oh my gosh, we did it for three hours. Yeah, you were there a long time, and I got to kind of do my own thing for a little bit. It was nice. It was so fun. Yeah, you got, we got the gingerbread kits from Costco this year. Usually I get it at like Target or Walmart or something, but you know, Costco, usually you pay a little bit more, but you get a little bit more stuff, and it seems like it, and the freaking candy was pretty good. I'd like to kick whoever did the box with the picture of the, t- like the display house, I'd like to kick them in the shins because it's a lie. It's a filthy Christmas lie. Ooh, if they're listening to this they're gonna hear about it i'm looking at the stuff around the door i'm like <clears throat> where did they even get that like that product doesn't even exist in this kit yeah and the piping of the snow at the roof i'm like what did they even use for that they had to use something high end oh know? totally a totally different frosting it definitely was not included in the kit it was not in that kit <laughs> <laughs> but there was enough there it was a good amount of stuff and i was you know stealing a couple little gingerbread things and a little gumdrop this or that and some like fake lights and i was like these are actually pretty good they like, were if i can imagine Costco being like, all right, we're going to pick like between these three companies and the the food has to be delicious. It has to be a nice like setup and whatever. So well, it, it was actually pretty good. The nutrition information is on the side of the box. And it, what was it says, say 153rd of the house was 120 calories. And I'm going to try to eat the entire house <laughs> a little bit day by day. 153rd of the house. It's the so funny. Three days. My uh, gingerbread man looked like he had a bloody mouth. Yeah. Like, I don't know how that happened. Red just dripping down his mouth. I'm like, <laughs> Somebody kicked him in the teeth. I don't know what he did wrong well that way it's a little bit of a murder podcast gingerbread man i didn't intend it but it came out that way no and uh I, we were getting our kids uh, at the dentist the other day brought them to their appointment and uh, the dentist was like it's it's dad's day today i guess a bunch of dads are bringing in their kids i'm like yeah we don't like working on fridays and uh she was just like um oh and i was like oh by the way so my wife's at home uh, researching our podcast because i'm I, I read something where they're like try to bring up your podcast whenever you can and she's like oh uh, a couple of our um you know people here in the office love podcasts and they're, they're gonna listen to it so Good. welcome welcome to the show we like dentists. Yeah, and just so you guys know, I did that on purpose. So tell the Dr. Amanda that I definitely did. <laughs> so, um, yeah, anything else going on this week? Uh, we're watching Ted Lasso again, and our son made Ted Lasso biscuits. Oh, my gosh, he did. It was amazing. He was just like, it was just me and him awake because he went to sleep, and our daughter went to her room. And he's like, Dad, uh, the biscuits only take, like, uh, butter, flour, and, like, powdered sugar, and I think that's it. Maybe one other thing. I don't know. But I'm like, he's like, do we have those things? I'm like, yeah, yeah. He's like, can I make it now? I'm like, sure, man. So he started putting it together, and it was it, it called for, like, room-temperature butter, and which everything was in the fridge. And then I was like, oh, I'll come in microwave it, buddy. Don't worry. Yeah, because otherwise he would just melt it. Yeah, so, like, defrost it a little bit or, you know, whatever you do. And uh, we kind of put it together, starting, you know, a little bit, a little bit. And, like, I was adding some of the dry while he was doing the wet or whatever. And it was just, like, yeah, kind of put it together. And, you know, there was different you know, recipes and stuff. And I was like, all right, let's meet somewhere in the middle. 300 degrees for this amount. We'll see how it goes. If not, we can change it next time. And they came out splendidly delicious. They were amazing. Yeah. I mean, delicious. They're like buttery shortbreads. Shortbreads. Yeah. 
but basically butter and flour. So butter, flour, and sugar. And you can't really, I mean, go wrong there unless you cook them too long. So. And if you're listening to this in England, I've just, I desperately need to get there. Yeah. Well, you've got, uh, you're like half English, I believe. I feel like it in my soul. And I'm watching Ted Lasso again. I just watched a Hallmark movie that took place in England. I'm like, I want to go so bad. I don't even feel in your soul. I mean, I, like, really, I think you're 25% English. Well, I it's I read a lot of books that take place in England. So I love their their terminology and their way of speaking. Yeah. It just is so endearing to me. Yeah, I think it's pretty cool, too, especially yeah. watching Ted Lasso. You're like, mm-hmm. oh, that's cool. And, oh, like our son, he, instead of saying, my friend's named uh, Bill or something. Did he say called? He says called all the time. So he's like, yeah, he's called uh, Bill. And I'm like, where does it even come from? It's not because of Ted Lasso, because he just started watching that. And they don't even do that much. So it's it's weird. These mm. little like hiccups. We so. need to get to England. Yeah, we need to. And you wanted to see Paris, too. So we might as well do Lind- <sighs> London, Paris. Let's just do that real quick. I'm like dying. I, I want to be rich. I need a private jet. <laughs> I just need to call the airport and be like, get the jet ready. PJ. PJ needs <laughs> to be ready. Get the PJ ready. I'm going to my PJs, meaning private jets. I want to see London at Christmas. Right. Fire up the jet. Is it too much Is to that ask? a big deal? No. I don't think so. I don't so. think so. Yeah. And with your help, we can do that. So, so. patrons, please. <laughs> I need a jet. Yes. Yeah, so, Allison needs a jet. We we're first just aiming for just a replacement for her income, and now we're replacing an entire jet. It's like, why can't you go to the airport and just fly commercial? Because I need the jet just whenever I need it. Right. I don't need to be booking airfare. Yeah. I don't want to pick a time of flying. That's just ridiculous. Oh, I sound like an a-hole. It's 2023. Why should I have to choose a time based on the airline? I shouldn't have to. Yeah, stupid. <laughs> please. I agree. All right. So, this is going to be a, a bit of a longer one, but it's very interesting and, and horribly sad. Uh, it's very frustrating. I told Mike while I was researching because he has no idea what I'm presenting. I said, you're going to be frustrated. So I'm going to go ahead and get started if you have nothing else to add. I'm ready. So this is a listener suggestion from Melissa. So thank you so much, Melissa. And this is the story of the murder of Lauren McCluskey. So in 2018, Lauren McCluskey was a 21-year-old woman who was a senior. She was attending the University of Utah after she had been recruited to be a member of their women's track and field team. Lauren was a Washington State champion in in the high jump. She ranked 10th in the heptathlon. Heptathlon. Oh, thank you. I meant to look that up, and I'm like, this word just doesn't make sense to me. Obviously, I know what it means, but so basically, it consists of seven events at the USATF Outdoor Junior Championship, which is the USA Track and Field Championship. So she was a stellar athlete. She was so accomplished that she had the task of choosing between multiple college scholarships. People were reaching out. She had to make the decision. Wow, she's a big deal. Very big deal. So she ultimately decided on the University of Utah. She started there in 2015 with a major in communications. The Utah Utes. Yeah. I didn't know. And they call it the U. Yeah. So Lauren was born to parents Matt and Jill McCluskey, who described their daughter as a star athlete since she was a child. She would climb trees at age two. She participated in her first track meet at age eight, and she just hit the ground running, literally. She set three records, like in that one thing she participated in for the first time. Kind of crazy. She was pure determination. She was a sensitive person. Um, athletics was a great channel for her that allowed her confidence to grow. And it was something that she was doing so well in that it, it gave her that boost. And not only was she an amazing athlete, but she also maintained a high GPA. She was a kind and caring person. She cherished her friendships. She loved to sing karaoke and dance with her friends. She was the type of girl that if she did something, she did it well. I mean, pretty impressive. Sounds like it. First time doing track and field and setting records. Yeah. That's amazing. Lauren grew up in Pullman, Washington. She had a brother named Ryan. They were an adorably precious family. She was also a member of the Capitol Church in downtown St. Salt Lake City, excuse me, while she was attending college. She would frequently invite people to come with her and encourage them to sing. On Saturday, September 1st, 2018, Lauren met a man at a popular downtown bar where he worked as a bouncer. He told Lauren that he was 28 years old and that his name was Sean Fields. He said he was enrolled at Salt Lake Community College. He had been in the military and trained as a security officer. Uh, real quick, anytime you talk about like Salt Lake, you got to say, are they Mormon? I looked into the church. It did not say that it was Mormon. Okay, it it looks like, like a it? typical Christian church okay. with like a band and stuff like that. Got it. Um, she was from Washington. I do not believe she was Mormon. There was no mention of that. 
So I did, my mind did go that way. So anyway, this person that she met, um, he said again that his name was Sean Fields. He would often visit Lauren at her dorm and he got to know the other students just by coming by. He also took her out to dinners. He frequently bought her flowers. He was making her feel special and loved. And what girl doesn't like that? She was being wooed. Yep. He was charming and Lauren was loving the attention. In the meantime, Lauren's friends, however were not so smitten by the sky. Mm-hmm. They were seeing some red flags and they were getting concerned by certain comments that Lauren was making and things that they were overhearing in their conversations. It was leading them to believe that he was a very controlling person. He had a strong opinion about who she was spending time with and what she was wearing. If she didn't answer her phone when he called, he would get very angry. Lauren's friends were also surprised when he gave her pepper spray to protect herself from other men and took her to a shooting range on a date and mentioned buying her a gun. It was clear this man was compromising also a lot of her time because her friends were seeing her less and less. And any controlling person is going to try to do that. And try to actually push friends away. Mm -hmm. So now we're moving on to October 2nd. They've known each other for about a month at this time. Lauren's friends and housing advisor, this is, or Lauren's friend, I should say, and housing advisor, this is Diamond Jackson. She was getting concerned. She was hearing concerns from other people. And as somebody that was kind of looking after Lauren, she felt it her responsibility to do something. So she emailed her her supervisor about a potentially dangerous relationship between a student and indicated that Lauren had been allowing her non-resident boyfriend to stay with her and her roommate. She didn't know how the roommate felt about the situation. She was just saying it was a possible problem. She wasn't sure, again, if the roommate was okay. She expressed concern that the boyfriend voiced purchasing a gun and the fact that he had been tracking Lauren. Somebody must have told her that. Her friends were worried about Lauren and indicated that she wasn't taking care of herself and wanted someone to reach out to Lauren to assess her well-being. Friends were seeing changes in Lauren that weren't good, and they were concerned. Days after this email was sent, Lauren happened upon her boyfriend's Utah driver's license and was shocked when she saw that he had a different name and age than the ones that he told her. I mean, talk about red flags. That's a red flag of red flags. So again, he said he was 28, but she noticed the birth date on the driver's license. It was from 1981, which would make him 37 years old. So almost 10 years older than what he told her. In the meantime, Lauren went home over fall break on October 5th to the 6th back to Pullman, Washington. She started to do some investigating. She looked up his real name, which was Melvin Sean Rowland. He said he was Sean Fields. So his name is actually Melvin Sean Rowland. She found that he had a sinister past. He was a sexual offender. He was out on parole. Mm. In 2004, he was convicted of attempted forcible sex abuse and enticing a minor over the internet, according to court records. Oh, my God. Towards the end of the podcast, I will get into a much more detailed um, about his past. He was released from Utah State Prison in 2013 after serving nine years behind bars, going back to prison multiple times for various parole violations. Like nine years. That's it. That's crazy. So, again, this is something that Lauren is finding as she's home in Pullman and she's looking up his name. And I can only imagine the feeling she must have had in the pit of her stomach, knowing that everything that this guy has said to her over the past month has just been a straight up lie, including his friggin' name and age. Yeah, and the reason he wants to get with her is because he's into young women. Yes. The next day, Lauren went back to Salt Lake City and told her mom what she had discovered and planned and told her that she was planning on breaking up with Melvin. She also spoke with her friends and tried to come up with a plan. One of her friends worried about her safety. She didn't want Lauren to break up with Melvin on campus at that point because it was fall break and the campus was pretty empty. Most of the students would go their ways. So it wasn't safety in numbers at that point. So um, what happened was that Lauren called him over to her, uh, her, her to her dorm. He had borrowed her car while she was back in Pullman. So on October 9th, 2018, Lauren got in touch with him in order to get her car back. 
and, and to talk to him about what she had discovered. So while in her dorm room, Lauren spoke with Melvin about his past, which he did admit, he tried to brush it off. He said that it was years ago. He had been at a college fraternity party and the girl had lied about her age. So, you know, he's probably making it seem like he was 19 and she was 17. Something yeah, very it was minor. no big deal. It was a misunderstanding. Blah, blah, blah. So he's just, he's downplaying what happened. So that night, he spent the night at Lauren's dorm, and the next day was October 10th. He again borrowed her car, and this time he took it to run errands. Lauren's mom, Jill, was concerned about her daughter's safety, so she contacted campus security at 3.01 p.m. on the 10th. She requested that they escort Lauren to get her car from him. She didn't want Lauren to go to get her car alone and what could possibly happen. So what happened was the university police contacted Lauren at 3.04 They were like, hey, we got a call from your mom. We heard about what's happening. Do you want us to do something? She was saying, you know, I'm comfortable having him just come by and just return the car. So she was told that campus security would be nearby if she changed her mind. So at 5 p.m., Lauren did call. She called and said that he had left her car at the campus stadium and that she needed a ride to go and get it. So the security escort came by and did take her to her car, which she got. And in the meantime, she did end her relationship with Melvin. So two days later, it's October 12th. Lauren contacted campus police and told them that she had been getting messages from various phone numbers telling her that Melvin was in the hospital and had died. Then she got a text from Melvin saying that he was alive. She also got a text asking if she wanted to go to his funeral. It was her belief that with the nature of these texts that somebody was trying to lure her somewhere. That's the the thing she was getting from this. What she didn't know for sure at the time, though, was that Melvin was in the meantime manipulating various electronic devices, so it appeared that these messages were coming to her from other people. They were all coming from him. So at the time she's getting them, she was like, these could be his friends. I don't know what's going on. The text indicated that he had gotten into a car accident and it was all Lauren's fault because he had made her, she had made him so upset. Lauren told the dispatcher that she had blocked a few of the numbers and that this person on the other line said that her reports would be sent to an officer who would then give her a call back to discuss the matter. No one ever called her back. So the next day, now is October 13th, it's a Saturday, Lauren contacted the university police again at 8.57 a.m. She said she had received both an email and a text from either Melvin or his friends. They demanded that she pay $1,000 in exchange for not posting explicit photos of Lauren and Melvin together. They were saying they were going to share them on social media. Lauren reached out to Melvin. He lied and said that he also was being blackmailed. She told police that she had paid the $1,000. She'd Venmoed the money because she did not want these photos coming out. Oh, boy. It's a terrible situation. So the dispatcher made radio contact with Officer Miguel Darris at 9.12 a.m. She was told that the case would be assigned to a detective who would then follow up with her. After practice that day, she wanted to be sure that everything was being done in the right order, so she and her friend went down to the station, and two officers, one being Miguel Darris, who was getting her information, they came out and interviewed Lauren. It was very informal. They actually just sat in the small reception area of the police office, and she filled out a report. Lauren's friend expressed concern for Lauren's safety. She told the officers that Lauren lived on the first floor and she wondered if she should relocate to a different building. You know, is she safe in the spots? So they explained the whole situation and informed them that they had found out about Melvin's past criminal record and the fact that he was out on parole. Lauren and her friend got the feeling that they were not being taken seriously and just being told it's just probably a scam. They're trying to get money out of you. She wrote out a report and was told that the detective, because it was a Saturday, wasn't in the office, but she should expect to hear an update by Tuesday. Again, this is Saturday. The case was assigned to the on-call detective, which was Kayla Dalif, who was not in the office. Her commanding officer said, don't come in. You can handle this when you do. Not, um, no one in the campus police department ever checked his parole status to see what was going on. Uh, That evening, Lauren contacted the Salt Lake City Police Department because she felt like nothing was happening. They directed her, 
right away to campus police. And she's explaining, I already have dealt with campus police. I want to make sure something is being done about this. Um, she, they transferred the call, just not even listening to campus police. And Lauren asked, you know, is something happening? Is an arrest going to be made? In the meantime, she forwarded the continued messages that she was receiving to Miguel Darius's personal number so that all the facts were documented. Six days later, now we're on October 19th, University of Utah Campus Police started an investigation on the extortion charges. A detective contacted Lauren to gather information to help identify the possible suspects in order to get some sort of an arrest. Because again, at this point, they don't know, is it Melvin and his friends or just Melvin? They have, they have no idea. Lauren was worried that there was a possible insider within the campus police because Melvin knew about her contact with the police. Huh. It was later discovered that she had previously logged into her email account on his phone and never logged out. Uh, so he had access to all of her emails. That sucks. That same day, Lauren called Salt Lake City Police for a second time. It was 4.48 p.m. She was voicing her concern about the fact that she had not gotten an update from the campus police, as well as her concern about there being an insider within the department. She was again advised to just follow up with the campus police. She did this, and when she spoke with the detective, who was Kayla Dalloff, who was assigned to her case, this was the first time she was speaking with Kayla. So Kayla's apologizing for not getting back to Lauren sooner. She told Lauren that she had just been so busy. In the conversation, it was clear that Detective Dalloff knew nothing about Lauren's case. She hadn't done any investigative work on it. I mean, what does the campus police do there? I mean, do they just uh, show up and drink some coffee and go home? Like, is there, I, I, I get, you know, that there's a lot of domestic disturbances and stuff like that, but it's just like, do the minimum, maybe, you know, follow up. I mean, search the guy's name. This is a parole offense. That yeah. fact that he is out on parole and had re- recently been released on parole and is now extorting this girl for money. Yeah. One little search would have given them this information. So again, Lauren knows that nothing is really being done about her case. So she was told to send an email with every fact of the case thus far. Lauren immediately hopped on the computer and sent this email at 7.16 p.m. She spoke with her mom. She told her that she just got the sense that she was just an annoyance to the campus police. And of course, her mom said, this is their job. Their job is to keep you safe on campus. So you keep doing what you're doing. Don't let them make you feel like you're a problem. So on October 22nd, surveillance video showed that Melvin left his apartment at 6.06 a.m. When I'm telling you this, we know none of this at this time. This was all discovered after the fact. So it's October 22nd, and he's leaving his apartment at 6.06 a.m. He drove to campus in a silver Buick that he'd borrowed from his neighbor. He parked in the lot next to Lauren's building. At 6.26 a.m., he could be seen on surveillance just roaming around the entrance of Lauren's dorm room, or dorm building, I should say. Uh, Lauren left at 9.11 a.m., unaware of any of this. That morning, she emailed campus police and reported additional text messages from an unknown number that she'd received at 8.54 a.m. This person was claiming to be Deputy Chief Rick McLennan, and he was requesting that she come to the station. There were horrific spelling errors and grammatical errors within the text. She just made the assumption that this is not a legit text. This is not from an officer. Oh, interesting, because she's been getting so many. Yes. So she called her friend at 9.57 a.m., and her friend said, you need to just call the police. So she did that at at 10 a.m. She contacted Officer Darris, who confirmed that the messages were not from the deputy's real number. He knows the deputy's number. She gave the number of who she's getting these messages from. They did not match. So she called Officer Darris again at 11.55 a.m. He didn't pick up. She tried again at 12.08 or 12.08 p.m. He called her back at 12.14 p.m. He let her know that they were both in the nearby area to each other. So she went to Union Center to meet him in order to show him these texts, which were then forwarded to the detective assigned to her case. 
And then, you know, keep in mind that impersonating law enforcement is a crime. Here's another parole violation. I think this one's going to get their attention a little more because they're cops and they don't want people to pretend to be like them. It's more of an offense, like a, a personal offense to them because obviously they didn't, um, you know, think too much into Lauren's actual situation. So right away, he would have been caught for violating parole. He would have gone straight back to prison. So that morning, Lauren had a counseling appointment followed by her practice and then a night class. She had seen the counselor twice since her breakup with Melvin. It was something that her mom had encouraged her to do so that she could voice any concerns and stressors that she was feeling related to it. What no one knew at this point and didn't discover until it was too late, but when campus police access security videos, I know you always say I say that wrong. Did I say that right? Accessed. Accessed. I don't know what's wrong with me. So it showed that he was in various areas of the campus between October 19th and the 22nd. On the 19th, video showed Melvin dressed as Deadpool walking outside Lauren's dorm at 3.16 p.m. Well, it is October. It is. So, you know, it's close to Halloween. I'm like, it's not Halloween. Okay, it's 10.22. It's, it's close enough where it's like, okay, this is may- maybe something to go into a Halloween party or office event or something. Exactly. That's what I thought when I was researching. At 4.02 p.m., she can be seen entering her building. So, basically, they're just nearly crossing paths with each other in these videos. So she's entering her building at 4.02 p.m., and then one minute later, he's seen outside the other access point of the building. So he's clearly stalking her, and Lauren was completely unaware that this was happening. She had no idea. She was getting these texts, but she did not know he was stalking her. Another one of those situations where she could just jump into the camera and be like, hey, he's right behind you. And I watched every single video of what was happening here. It's just so sad on hindsight. So Melvin was seen entering the building where Lauren and her uh, where Lauren had her counseling appointment only 9 minutes after she'd left. On the 22nd, Melvin headed to Lauren's dorm when she was out. He was easily invited inside of the building by a resident because his face was familiar because he had been coming out and hanging out with Lauren in that building. People recognized him and just readily entered let him enter. So he was led inside. He spent time in one of the rooms with one of the men and other residents. They said that they didn't know Lauren very well, the guys that live there. Melvin told them that he was just waiting for her practice to finish, so he appreciated them letting him in. At some point, he brought out a black drawstring bag and asked them to guess what guess what was inside. One of the students guessed that it was a gun, and he said yes. They weren't concerned by this since he wasn't showing it off in a threatening way. He was a chameleon. He was able to be whatever you wanted him to be. So at this point in time, they're not threatened at all. Hey, guess what it is? A gun? Yep. Oh, okay. Well, hey, we're going to go get some food. So what he was telling them was that he had been he was a Marine and he had been dis- deployed to Afghanistan. So it was like basically typical that he'd be carrying a gun with him as what impression he gave off mm. melvin was last seen leaving her building at 8 10 p.m which was just about the time that lauren would have been wrapping up her night class the class released a little bit early as she was heading home she called her mom at 8 20 p.m jill was talking to lauren on speakerphone and her dad was sitting just nearby jill and he could hear the whole conversation he could hear that they were having a happy lively talk Lauren told her parents that she was proud about making progress on an assignment that she was working on that would be due in a few days. All of a sudden, while she's in the middle of talking to her mom, Jill and Matt heard Lauren shout, no, no, no. And they immediately knew that something was wrong. Oh, no. I got to be the worst man being on the phone with your daughter. And did you just hear that? Oh, my stomach was sick thinking about it. They could hear her phone drop and then it went silent. Using their landline and in a panic, Matt called 911 at 8.23 p.m. and told them that it sounded as if somebody had grabbed their daughter while she was talking to them on the phone. They explained that she was walking to her car from Gardner Commons. At 8.32 p.m., an officer responded to this location, and in the meantime, a student found Lauren's backpack, ID, and phone laying on the ground, and the call was still active with Jill. So this person, this girl, is just picking up the phone going, hello? And confusion. So in the meantime, police believe that they were dealing with a kidnapping until witnesses came forward and said that they had heard gunshots. And then police found shell casings. Oh, no. 
Lauren's dorm room and parking lot and surrounding area were searched. Students were instructed to secure in place and alerted that an on-campus shooting had occurred. Another alert was sent with Melvin's information that listed him as a black male, 37 years old, 6 foot 3, 250 pounds. He was wearing a gray beanie, black pants, white shoes, and a white hoodie. In the meantime, Matt and Jill were at home, and I cannot possibly imagine what they must have been feeling in that moment, not knowing what had happened to their daughter. Basically, what they were doing was holding their breath and just hoping and praying that they would not see a police officer drive up to their house with devastating news that something terrible had happened. Yeah, knowing what they're going to be telling you. And they're just at home. They have no idea. Tragically, at 9.55 p.m., Lauren's body was found in the back of the silver Buick that he had been seen driving that morning from his apartment to campus. When when their phone rang at the McCluskey home and Jill answered, it was Lauren's coach on the other end. She asked if Lauren was okay, and she was told the devastating news that her daughter was gone. When Jill began hysterically crying, Matt immediately knew without hearing the words that his daughter was gone. And he remembers feeling as if he had been struck with a baseball bat. He said he was so stunned that he couldn't even cry at that moment. No, your whole world has changed and flipped upside down. It's just like, what the hell? Like, how do you deal with hearing that news? Ugh. I can't imagine. And a girl I, that you're used to calling and hearing, you know, the latest of what's been going on and how practice is going, that will never, ever happen again. And you can never talk to her for the rest of your life. Oh, my God. It's just horrific. And the fact that they were talking to her when it happened. Ugh. After the fact, through a review of surveillance, it was discovered that at 8.17 p.m., Lauren was approaching the west entrance to her building. This was while she was talking happily with her parents. Melvin could be seen standing several feet behind her. They could only see his feet in this video. So she's basically getting ready to approach the card reader of her building. After 25 seconds, he basically came out of hiding where he was standing and he grabbed her and was seen carrying her away from her door at 8.18 p.m. He carried her to the nearby Buick that he had borrowed from his neighbor and forced Lauren into the back seat where he shot her seven times. Jeez, man, that's nuts. Three minutes later, he could be seen making his way on foot through campus parking lots and then crossing a bridge toward a rail station on campus. He was picked up then by a Hyundai Sonata. Only minutes after murdering Lauren, Melvin went on a date with a woman that he had met on the dating site Bumble just days earlier. So that's who was picking him up. Oh, my God. So we, like, timed it that way? He literally had a date be his, like, getaway car, unknowingly. Unknowingly, okay. Uh, This girl has no idea. She met this guy on on Bumble. Oh, my God. So they went out to dinner at Zhao Asian Cafe. They drove to the Capitol and talked. They went back to her house where he convinced her to allow him to shower and wash his clothes. I'm sure she's like, what the hell? She was te- or he was telling her that he had just been working out. While Melvin was still at this woman's house, this woman began seeing all these campus alerts and Twitter notifications about the shooting. She couldn't comfortably check these reports because he continued to, like, lurk around and look over her shoulder. So she didn't, like... Did she have a feeling that it might have been him? I think she must have, yes. Wow, good for her. So then he asked to be dropped off at a coffee shop. And once he was safely inside the coffee shop, she finally was able to look at her Twitter notifications. And she contacted police later that night. One of the alerts mentioned that the shooter had been picked up in a silver Sonata. Oh, my God. And she's like, oh, my gosh, I drive a silver Sonata. Oh, my God. Can you imagine? You're like, I was just hanging out. I just went on a date with an effing murderer. Yes. And she was very concerned for her safety now. And the officer is like, look, you're in our station and you're safe here. We're going to make sure you stay safe. Oh, I'm in the station that Lauren reached out to a million times and didn't do jack squat. Great. I feel really safe. I think it was 22 times she had reached out to get help. Yeah. Hopefully, uh, (laughs) Officer Darris Darris is uh, involved in this all. Yeah, I feel very, very safe. So she said that the name that he had given her that, you know, she was dating this guy in Bumble, this did not match the name of the person that was being put in these alerts, but she suspected that this was the person. So at 1246 a.m., campus police noticed um, 
Melvin, and began chasing him on foot. Wow. So what happened was they chased, they saw that he had gotten into Trinity AME Church. He had broken in the back door. Once inside, he committed suicide by a self-inflicted gunshot wound. So by the time police walked into the church, he was laying dead on the floor. Hey, next time, Melvin, just kill yourself by by yourself. Like, don't take other people down, you stupid... uh, I mean, he's gone, so it just makes no sense, but... And he had only been dating Lauren for about a month at, you know, the point that she broke up with him. Well, obviously, hugely, hugely mentally, you know, affected. There's a lot of mental things going on with this guy. So at 1.47 a.m. on October 23rd, now we're in the early morning hours, a campus-wide alert set was sent out that their suspect had been found and he was no longer a threat because in the meantime, campus was on lockdown because there was an active shooter on the loose. Well, yeah, you don't know what's going to happen next. Two investigators were, or two, I'm sorry, two investigations were conducted, one by the state's Department of Public Safety and an independent review by the University of Utah. Recordings of complaints dated as far back as two weeks before Lauren was murdered, and results from an independent review team indicated that the University of Utah's police department was understaffed. It was very clear that this institution had failed Lauren. The system that had been used to check Melvin's offender status failed because it didn't recognize his driver's license number. Therefore, parole agents were never notified that he had been breaking parole on multiple times. Oh, so like, I guess the system... Oh, so this parole officer should have been notified saying, uh, hey, immediately. this police is looking into you for this reason. And then the parole officer should probably go check and be like, yes. hey, we're getting some pings that you might be involved in you know, acting as an officer. That's against your your whole parole. And I'll tell you a little bit more about that because um, in the documentary that I watched about this case, they interviewed the parole officer. She had heard not a thing about anything that was going on. On December 19th, 2018, the university's president, Ruth Watkins, made the statement that the tragedy of Lauren's murder could not have been prevented. Oh, my God. Can I watched this woman say those words from her lips. You're so clearly, like, just angling to keep your job. Like, it's just, that's so, so, like, horribly How can you say that? How can you say that? Do you have children? Even if you don't, you're a human being. You failed this this girl. I mean, I get, like, I get keeping it kind of, like, vague and being like, you know, we're going to look into everything we can, you know, just BS that you typically hear. But, like, going out and saying this couldn't have been prevented, you're like, you're just... Just looking out for yourself. You're such a scumbag. Lauren's parents felt sick to their stomachs when they heard this statement, which clearly defied facts and logic. And who's this person again? The president of the university. This is Ruth Watkins. Ruth Watkins can suck it. What an idiot. She's a bitch. So it was clear that they had hired a lawyer. The statement had been written by by a lawyer in order to protect the campus image. In April of 2021, Ruth Watkins stepped down from her position after eight years at the university. She had gotten a ton of backlash about all this. Yeah, and, you know, oh, the lawyers made me say it. Okay, well, you're also a human being. You have your own brain. You made the choice to say this. You're the head administrator for Utah. I mean, you can can say whatever you want, stupid. It was later discovered by talking to several other women that Melvin dated for short periods of time that he had treated them very similarly. He had become obsessed with them, again, after just short blips of dating time, you know, constantly contacting them, calling them, texting them. He'd grown up in Brooklyn, New York. He was adopted by an older couple who died when he was 15. He had no juvenile record. He attended a private high school for troubled youths in Colorado, so he definitely did have some issues happening, hence needing a you know a special high school. Um, he moved to Utah when he was 20 years old. In September of 2003, an agent from the Internet Crimes Against Children Task Force was assigned to pose as a 13-year-old girl online. And this, you know, person began chatting with Melvin. Melvin asked um, who he thought was a 13-year-old if he wanted, if they wanted to meet up and have, quote-unquote, wild sex. A 13-year-old. Man, I mean, that should be enough of a freaking crime to go to jail. Like, you shouldn't have to meet up with the person and get caught meeting up. Like, just sending that to a, who you know is a 13-year-old should be a crime. It's disgusting. I, so, get, I get free speech, but there's a, there's a limit. 
They made arrangements for the two to meet in downtown Salt Lake City. Police learned that two nights earlier, Melvin, who was 22 years old at the time, had raped a 17-year-old high school student. So he does this, and then two days later, he's on the internet trolling for a 13-year-old girl when he's 22. I mean, rape should be treated as bad as a murder, you know? Like, oh, that's it's horrific. In, like, it's, it's, it's in a lot of ways, like, very much the same thing, because you're ruining the person's life. You're taking away their previous life, mm-hmm. and now they've been, like, raped by you. That's It's, it's like a before and an after person. Horrible. So, in March 2003, he had also attempted to rape a woman who managed to fight him off. In early 2004, a woman filed a restraining order while he was out on bail and awaiting trial for the two previous felonies. During a parole hearing in 2012, Melvin admitted that he had manipulated every woman he had ever come into contact with, both online and in person. Now, he is being asked in this parole hearing in 2012 how many women he had raped that he had not been charged for, and he answered two. Mm-hmm. So two other women he had raped and they did nothing about it. And he's also stupid. Like he's you know, admitting. You don't admit to crimes, but a good thing he's a moron. So despite admitting this, nothing occurred, and in July of 2012 he was released. Sure. He was sent back to prison though in October of 20, 2012, same year, when he failed to complete counseling that he was required to do. He was also found to have pornography on his phone. He was released then in 2013. In February of 2016, he was sent back to prison for violating parole. He had also threatened violence toward his parole officer. On April 17th of 2018, now this is the year that Lauren was killed, so this was the April before, he was released, which was less than five months before Lauren had her fateful meeting with him. In August, he had been given a verbal warning for testing positive for marijuana, During that time, he was working at a call center for General Dynamics. He worked nights also as a bouncer. That's the place where Lauren met him. So after speaking with Melvin's supervisor at General Dynamics call center, um, so this is General Dynamics Information Technology, investigators learned that he did not show up to his shift on October 15th. The next day he came in on on the 16th, he told his work supervisor that he planned to resign because he expected to be in trouble with the law for extorting Lauren and the fact that she had also told police all of this information. Had they notified his parole officer, who was Megan Thompson, he would have immediately been picked up and put in handcuffs. That sucks. I mean, I get it. Like, they're like, I don't want to meddle with it. Like, he's going to be gone. He's not our problem anymore. But yeah, looking back, it's like, you got to make a policy. If you are if you hear about any wrongdoing, like legal wrongdoing, you need to notify the authorities. Mm-hmm. I get it. Like, put yourself in that situation. You're like, well, he's not going to be here anymore. He's not my problem. Right. You know, you're not going to think, oh, he's going to murder somebody and shoot yeah, them who, seven times. Who thinks that? Right. The following day, Melvin gave his co-worker, Nathan Vogel, $200 to borrow his 40 caliber Beretta PX4. He told his co-worker that he planned to take Lauren out shooting. Because of his role in the case, Nathan Vogel was sentenced to three years of supervised release after making false statements while he made the purchase of this gun. So he bought this gun on September 8th, 2018. He'd gotten actually somebody else to buy the gun for him. He said he was afraid he wouldn't be able to purchase it because of his military background. He wanted it that day. So... He did get in trouble for that. Yeah, and there's almost more to that story. It's not like you were just giving it to him. Just, it's almost like you wonder if he knew that what he was. I highly, highly doubt that he knew. I really don't think so. Hmm. On March 5th, 2019, Matt McCluskey, Lauren's dad, traveled to Utah from Washington to testify in favor of Senate Bill 134 that would require universities to, to develop safety plans and safety training. It would also mandate a statewide system for sharing information about domestic violence, stalking, and sexual assaults. On June 27th, Lauren's parents filed a $56 million lawsuit against the university for failing to properly respond to her repeated reports against Melvin. And when they were making this um, suit, they were like, this is the last thing we want to do. We are being forced to file this lawsuit. Well, because you're going to have people, well, they're just money hungry, whatever. Mm -hmm. And it's just like, you know what? You know what talks in the United States is money. So you're going to sue this university that makes billions of dollars a year. Now they're going to listen to us. And that's exactly why they did it. Yeah, absolutely. Take as much as whatever that you can get. That's fine. The money is secondary. You would be willing to get... You'd be willing to go bankrupt for the rest of your life to take Lauren back. I would give everything 
anything to I'd live have in a my box. daughter. I'd live in a box mm-hmm. the rest of my life. I'd live on the street Ugh. for the rest of my life to have my daughter safe. Like you can pound the 20 million and up your wazoo. Like, right. You know, I'd, it's like this is now you're going to listen to us because you have to yep. because lawyers are involved. So now let's sit down mm-hmm. and let's because if I if you would have just said, oh, you need to make better rules. You're like, yeah, we'll look it over with a committee and blah, blah, blah. Mm-hmm. like nothing's going to happen. And nothing would happen. Throughout this time, other women were coming forward to share their experience with campus campus police and the lack of help that they received when they were filing issues. Um, it's I, almost like, sorry to interrupt, but it was, it's almost like they didn't do anything like, okay, they're, I know they're understaffed. It's really hard. I get it. But it's almost like just a title, like campus police. And then that's it. Like they just have one because they're supposed to have one. And it, that's it. I think all they did was just document the information. That is it. They literally did not do anything else. Probably parking tickets, which was income for the university. In October of 2020, for the first time now, like you said, money talks, the university acknowledged that Lauren's murder was preventable, and they agreed to pay out $13.5 million to Lauren's parents. The settlement announce, announcement came on the two-year anniversary of Lauren's death. This was in contrast to the university's insistence that there was no reason to believe that her death could have been prevented. (laughs) Yeah, like Ruth Watkins. Yes, shortly after Lauren's murder. So $10.5 million would be paid to Jill and Matt from the state, while the additional $3 million would be paid from the university. They made the statement that every bit of money, so the $3 million they would put directly into the Lauren McCluskey Foundation, which was created to improve campus security across the nation. Matt McCluskey indicated that all the settlement funds would be going to the foundation because they wanted to be sure that this money was well spent and would help save lives. That's all they wanted in this. They're both very educated people. I looked them up. They both have their PhD. Matt works for a university. Um, Jill McCluskey felt that the settlement was important for many reasons and addressed how Lauren was killed while honoring how she lived. Lauren's friend and teammate, Brooke Martin, was in shock over her friend's death, and as time went by, she noticed that nothing was changing or improving in terms of campus security or policy. She created a mural in Lauren's honor and helped build a student-led coalition called Unsafe You. On the first anniversary of Lauren's murder, Unsafe You came together, and 100 students walked out of their classes in protest of how the university handled Lauren's case. On May 17, 2020, an article was published by the Salt Lake Tribune that claimed that when Lauren reported that she had been extorted $1,000, she was asked to share these questionable explicit photos that were being threatened to, you know, be put online with Officer Miguel Darris. Oh, man, that's not good. So she sent these photos to Officer Darris. He saved these photos on his personal phone. Oh, God, what a... fucking scumbag days before lauren was murdered on october 15th he showed off at least one of the images to a male co-worker and bragged about the fact that he could view these photos anytime he wanted according to two fellow officers they both overheard this he referred to lauren as a cute girl and said that he was lucky he got to work on this case after Lauren was shot, Darris was also at the crime scene, and his supervisor officer said, man, I wonder what she looked like when they were talking about Lauren. Huh. Darris shared one of the intimate photos with him, despite the fact that he had a picture of her driver's license, that he could have showed that picture instead. If I'm like the parents of Lauren, I would go out of my way to strangle this guy to death like, and go to jail and be fine with it. Like, oh my God, what a piece of... I know he didn't have anything to do with her murder. Obviously, but, but he, instead oh. of like trying to push the case to keep the lauren safe he's showing off photos that that's like such a breach of his trust as an officer yeah power power hungry just asshole neither officer reported the incident at the time so when i say neither the witnesses that saw him showing off these photos yeah because they're all part of a fraternity so, because of this, Darius was never disciplined for it. The university was said to have no information about the inappropriate behavior and abuse of evidence until after Darius left the department in September of 2019. He went to work for the Logan Police in northern Utah. The university claimed to have no physical evidence of his conduct, and in July of 2019, the university did conduct a download of his cell phone to collect any data from Lauren's case, but by that time, he had gotten a new phone, and most of what came back was corrupted, so they didn't get much. 
The officer who reported that Dara shared the photos of Lauren said that he was sitting next to him during a between-shift briefing when Darris leaned over and began flipping through the images on his phone. Another person did, like I said, confirm the story. Officer Darris had been assigned to Lauren's case, and an independent review found that he did little to look into Lauren's reports or take her concerns seriously. Well, I mean, that's par for the course <clears throat> for the entire police department there. Officers never checked Melvin's background at the time that she was reporting this in the office and made no attempts to contact him or his parole officer. When Lauren called Darris on the morning of the 22nd to tell him that, you know, she got that text from somebody posing to be a police officer, she said, I feel like he's trying to lure me to a location so that he could do something to me. That's what she told him on the morning that she just so happened to be killed. So um, he never passed this information along to anyone else within the department. It was only hours later that she was shot and killed. Dara's claim that the officer who reported his misconduct was just misremembering what happened and maintained that he never showed off these photos without a valid reason to do so. Yeah, because there's no physical evidence. And of course. He, he knew he was totally fine. He could say whatever he wants. After the report was released, Logan police did fire him. So that's good. Yeah, big deal. Then he'll get hired somewhere else. Right. So in August it's, of 2020, he was fired at that position. It's like going like absent with like pay. It's like, okay, that's is that really even like bad? Like you get sent home, you still get paid. That's actually like a reward. Yeah. It's called vacation. So and then the three officers who were shown the photo but never alerted their supervisors, they were fired by the university. Absolutely. So I say I, I support all good police. I love police. They protect us. They're the, mm -hmm. like I, I would never do it because I'm too much of a puss, right? Right. It's a hard, hard job. And like I put bad cops like in the same level as rapists and murders. Like if, if you're a cop and you've never reported a bad cop, you're almost in the same area. Oh, I mean, like, it is really. We, we have a great friend that's a very high level police person and he's reported some bad cops in the past. And every every single workplace has bad people in it. Sure. You know? And unfortunately, the police are responsible for our safety. So it's like much, much worse to be a bad cop than it is to be a bad chef or something, you of know, course. like spitting in food or something like that. Like you're you're responsible for the entire community safety right so if you're a police officer and you see something like you gotta report it just to like break that brotherhood of you know that a lot of people think about you know there's make that brotherhood like the thing that's good and pure you know like change it right but, and know. it should be that should be standard across the board and i think we're going that direction like zero tolerance yeah. on it yeah University of Utah Police Chief, who was 46-year-old Dale Brophy, he retired in October of 2019 after criticism for his department's failure of handling Lauren's case. But, like you just said, he received a full year salary of $151,000 plus benefits, and he had a $6,000 retirement party thrown for him when he did retire. And a pension, and he'll be just fine. Like, whatever. Just, like, if, I don't care. Get rid of him. Just let's get some good start, cops in start there. Start fresh. Yeah, let's get some good cops. It's like, it's, yeah. Yeah, he definitely failed. I mean, he's responsible for maybe the worst-run you know, campus police ever. And I would never fire him elsewhere because he obviously can't do a good job. You know, and he was young. He was only 46 when he retired. He Man. was able to begin collecting a full retirement paid for by the state after 25 years in law enforcement. Both he and Officer Darris felt that they were treated unfairly. They claimed that they deserved millions of dollars. So three other former officers had joined them, and they were demanding at least $10 million from the university, indicating that the school is at fault for retaliation and harm to their reputations by publicly pointing a finger at them for the mistakes that were made within the case. I guess the judge had dismissed their claims of retaliation. Okay. So the University of Utah plans to build an indoor track that will be named for Lauren and used by the track and field team since they had to previously travel 45 miles to utilize an indoor track for winter practices. Wow. The facility will be complete by 2030, and Jill feels that it will allow Lauren to always have a presence on the campus. She knows that tra the track was a special place for Lauren. She spent so much of her time there. The indoor facility is also a safety measure, since students can use that at night rather than running outside. 
The new Center for Violence Prevention at the U was created in part in response to Lauren's death. It focuses on primary prevention of relationship and sexual violence on college campuses. Lauren's death has resulted in considerable improvements in campus safety by investing in research, implementing new training, hiring of new chief safety officer, as well as an overhaul of the police department. More lights have been placed throughout the campus, as well as a ride service for students to call at night. Now, I watched this documentary. It was extremely well done. It was ESPN um, did it. It was called Listen. It covers Lauren's case in great detail. It interviews many people. It shows all the surveillance video that was missed at the time that Lauren was going through what she was going through. All the recorded phone calls. Everything was there. Um, They also uh, interviewed Miguel Darris. When asked what he would say to Lauren if he could, he responded that he was sorry for how he handled the case. He did not push the detective to move. He said he was not in the position to do so. What about, would he apologize for asking her to send her nude photos to him? Well, like, was um, that proven? That- no, because he said he, the person just simply misremembered it. Okay, but I know he said he didn't save it on his personal phone, but don't they have records of, from Lauren's phone of him asking for it? Uh, I don't know, truly. Uh, they would um, have but that. that could have been in the case that, you know, because they were corresponding but there's about no, these things. Yeah, there's no good reason to have the actual photos. That's where it's like a little thing goes off in your head and you're right. like, you Why don't do you need, need the, photo. the photos. Yeah. It's, it's all about what the intent was. Right. He was extorting her $1,000. And as soon as you hear there like this guy's a piece of crap i hope he's not employed but i'm sure he is i'm sure he's going to make a great pension he admits he could have done more he never told his supervisor about the text from an unknown number of a person that was pretending to be the deputy chief on the day that lauren was killed and again this was illegal he could have gone straight back to prison for this and as a police officer this should be a personal thing somebody's impersonating you yes Lauren's family acknowledges that nothing will close the terrible gap in their lives since losing their beloved daughter. They know that there is nothing they can do to bring her back, but they can work to prevent something so tragic happening to someone else. With that, they form the Lauren McCluskey Foundation that has the mission to bring awareness, funding, research, and provide resources to change the culture of dating violence and stalking on college campuses. Lauren's promise is a vow that anyone, including faculty, staff, students, parents, as well as the community members, will listen and believe someone who is coming forward and saying that they're being threatened or experiencing sexual assault, dating violence, or stalking. Listen. Because I think college students are more vulnerable because they're away from their parents. They're not taken seriously. Oh, she's just a 21-year-old college girl. Whatever. It's just probably a little spat. And I'm sure stuff is reported every single weekend that turns out to be nothing. Right. You know, there's drama. It's like, oh, well, he's going after me. And then it's like, well, now he's not. But at the same time, you got to take it seriously. You have to. But like, where where does it end? You know, do you keep hiring police officers to look into all these things that eventually turn into nothing? And then you're spending billions on like a police department? It's hard. I get it. It's hard. Lauren had contacted them more than 20 times. When when it's more than once on a weekend, you know, you definitely got to look into it. They've also donated money from their lawsuit earnings um, to the University of Idaho, which is where Lauren had spent a lot of hours to become a better athlete. The track has since, since been named after Lauren. A wing at the Whitman County Humane Society in Pullman, Washington, was also opened in Lauren's honor since she used to volunteer there and she has a great love of cats. And her mom said she would just be so happy to know that the cats have extra rooms to roam around while they're waiting to be adopted. That's so important just to do something that she would have loved. Exactly. So Lauren's track and field coach at the university said that her kindness, her positive attitude and work ethic were always on display regardless of who she was with or what activities she was involved in. She was basically the type of girl who just put her best into everything that she did. She was always present and in the moment with her teammates and friends. And this was just such a tragic loss that could have been prevented if only something had been done and that had this case been taken seriously. And that is just the tragic murder of Lauren McCluskey. You know, thinking back to thank you for telling Lauren's story. It's important that other people can you know, hopefully hear some things and maybe other, you know, maybe somebody at a university police or any police department is like, yeah, you know what? Maybe I wasn't paying enough attention to this case. Maybe I should look into it more. Like, not Lauren's case necessarily, but a case in their department. But something I think about is how Melvin had access to that email 
And if he hadn't had access to that email, I, maybe he wouldn't have gotten as crazy, you know? Right, because he wouldn't have known her contact. She, he saw every correspondence she had with the police through yeah. through the emails that he was just reading in real time. And then when the police said, okay, basically, we're not going to do a job, so you need to put all the facts together on an email. That's the where it like, really kind of took off, where she put, okay, this day this happened, this day this happened, and he was reading it all, being like in, this, in, her, in her scent folder, and be like, oh, this chick's going to get me put into jail. And then he probably decided, okay, I'm going to murder her. And then, you know, and then I'll go on a date afterwards. And then it'll seem, because then I'll have a, 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 you know, whatever. I'll say that I was on the date and I couldn't have murdered her at the An time. An alibi. Thank you. So it's just, obviously, yeah, all these things are hindsight. You right. wish you could change and, them. And that's the thing. Like, we never know. Hindsight is twenty twenty. Obviously, these officers did not think Lauren was going to get killed, but they didn't do anything. And it just goes to show that you have to listen and take things seriously. And granted, there's a lot of false reports too, but just you in can't. case. I mean, you can't have that attitude though. No, just in case. Yeah, take you it have seriously. to. Yeah. I'm so sorry for Lauren. And what an awesome move by her friend putting together unsafe you. Like mm-hmm. that's, uh, that's like, I, I would make as a parent, that would make my heart like, you know, full. I'd be like, somebody still cares about something happening here. Yeah. They, they get it. They get what we're trying and to do. And that you're actually doing something about it. Cause we yeah. can all sit around and talk, right. but to actually take action is really commendable. Yeah. Absolutely. And that something does need to change. Like you shouldn't send your child to college and they don't come home because they died on campus. You know, that shouldn't happen. Uh, and stories like this are what create helicopter parents and you can't really blame them all the time. You know, no, it's a scary world. Yeah. Obviously stuff like like this isn't every single day, you know, at every single university. But, but this these is stories are the things that you think of. Yeah, absolutely. Well, thank you again for telling Lauren's story. Very important. Hopefully somebody can change something, you know, listening to this. And, you know, we appreciate every single one of you. And if you, you know, like the way we deliver a story, then we have good news. There's more options for, uh, for you on Patreon. We have over 30 bonus episodes you have access to. I think we have 37. Yep. And um, with more coming next year, we got some some announcements coming in January, mm-hmm. probably. Yep. Uh, we got some meetings, me and you. Yeah, we got to have a meeting. Yeah, a couple meetings. So we'll see where, where those go and we'll, we'll make some announcements. But I um, want to say welcome to our latest Crime and Coffee Couple Club members. We've got Heidi, Karen, and Allison. Wonderful names. All of you. Uh, you probably like the third one mm-hmm. especially. So, um, yeah, thank you for being members and, and trusting us with your hard-earned money. And this is really what keeps our fuel going. So thank you. Thank you so much. And if you like what you hear, tell a coworker, friend, family member. Um, we're going to be together this holidays here. So whether you're you're breaking bread at Hanukkah or uh, Christmas or whatever. and Whatever just you out, celebrate. Yep. If you're with someone, maybe mention us. Maybe leave a five-star review if you haven't. Subscribe to our podcast and just keep coming back for more because we'll be here. And until next time, bye. bye.